0: Hello, you are very welcome to the Attic Sessions and we are on the road again with the Attic because we are down in the very beautiful surroundings of dromineer County Tipperary on Loch Derg because we're attending the 14th Annual Dromaneer Literary Festival. <music> writer who has published to date 10 books of prose and poetry and has written five books of poetry the most recent being The Windows of Graceland new and selected poems which was published by Carcanet in 2016 and her previous collection Burnfort Las Vegas was shortlisted for the Irish Times Poetry Now award and she won the 2011 Premio Hyampi International Prize am I saying that right Premio Hyampi
1: Piero Ciampi.
0: A great prize, one way or the other. So Martina Evans, lovely to meet you. And um, in such a beautiful place, the lake is just over there. Uh, What brings you to Dromenier?
1: Well, I've been invited by Eleanor Hooker, uh, who's a wonderful poet herself, and the amazing um, organizer and brain behind this festival, her in Cork. And actually, she came to my workshop it was a four masters workshop at the Cork Literary Festival and Eleanor was in it and afterwards she, I got an invitation to drum ear, so it was great good. and she's yeah, she's a pretty wonderful person actually. And you don't know this part of the world at all, you have never been here Yeah. so it's been stunning to um, well, it will be stunning by the time you get a chance to actually see
0: the lake, because you were kind of grabbed in here and plonked in front of a camera. So, uh, you will discover the beauty of that lake over there. Um, but you, you actually only grew up, what, 40 miles down the road, Mallow? This is it only 40 miles to yeah, Mallow. R- yeah, roughly down, if you go cross-country-ish. Oh,
1: God, I didn't realise. Um, so, yeah, not far away at all, so Munster. Yeah. Um, in a place
0: called Burn Fort. Burn Fort. So tell us, wh- how would we find Burnfort, and, and what's
1: there? And I have a very bad sense of direction. I can only go there in my dreams, um, which I think poems are kind of dreams. Um, no, seriously. Um, it's between Mallow and Cork and it's in the back road. Um, but it's, I think probably that's one of the impulses, apart from the fact that childhood is a very rich period for any poet. Um, that world is vanished. Because mm-hmm. it was, you know, the bar shop and petrol pumps, and there was a post office. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that even there the now? Yeah, the post office is gone. Yeah. And I suppose most people will probably go to Mallow, to Tesco's, yeah. and whatever. So it's kind of bypassed. And at one stage, it was the road to Mallow and Cork. Um, I think there was a saying, as bent as the Mallow Road, there used to be a saying. And um, then there was a main road, but I mm-hmm. think the main road was very too many bends, so then they made another main road. And you,
0: because you, I know you've written about sort of being in this shop, post office, petrol station. Oh, no, the post office
1: was up the road. Oh, I had wow. a real fantasy about the post office. I wanted to be a post mistress because um, was, it was the cutest little building with you know, everything in green. Um, and in fact, that's influenced um, the book we're going to talk about later, the book that's coming out next year. I was always loved this idea about green post boxes and red post boxes, and the fact that the green ones had once been red, and the same with the buses. But I had an obsession with the post office, mm-hmm. the licking of the stamps and the melting the wax. And the woman who lived there was, um, she was a really gentle, lovely woman, Mrs. O'Connell, and to loved going up there, and her sweets always seemed to smell nicer. She had a smaller, like, just a like, few sweets and stuff, but mm-hmm. they seemed more magical. I think um, flavors of the past somehow always No, but what I mean is we had sweets as well. Oh, we, it was just... Oh, We had, okay. like, pop shop and petri pumps uh-huh. I'm just saying, it's usual. You know, like, the grass is greener. Our <laughs> sweets seem to smell sweeter. That shop seemed to smell sweeter than ours. Okay. But um, you had people coming in. Oh, it was just constantly coming. And my family used to live in Australia, and... Um, <clears throat> we had lots of visitors from Australia and America and mm-hmm. um, even people would somebody in Australia might give them our address and people that they wouldn't know from Adam would turn up yeah. with knapsacks yeah in fact I don't know if I should say this but I remember sometime in the 90s somebody said somebody's coming from Australia my mother got into a car and drove up and knocked oh. up the door because she got tired of visitors um, but it was very very exciting because my eldest brother who I get on really well with. He's the other big reader in the family. He's 21 years older than me and he stayed in Australia when they left Australia.
0: Because there and were ten there yeah. were ten kids they, in your
1: family. They started on a farm in Patrick's Well and they left with five kids in 1950, yeah. sold the farm, went to Australia, lived there for ten years, had four more children and then came back and had me but they had left the eldest two behind so I didn't see them until the late sixties. Okay. And actually Bonded really well with both of them, Eric and Bessie. Um, So, so God, I mean, you could just go on a bit forever because there's just so many. But one of the things
0: I was wondering about, because you know you've been describing this this shop where people come in and and it's almost like you're on display. I think you read a poem last night, uh, facing the public.
1: Um, and so, as a bit like that as well, yeah. But
0: is that where you got the interest in, in voices, in the dramatic monologue, in in, in character? Yeah. Do you think that's where it started?
1: Um, yes, and no. Um, I think it was a fertile ground for it, but I think it ran in the family anyway. My mother was in you know, O'Shaughnessy, and I think all that family were amazing. And her youngest sister, Auntie Helen, was amazing and apparently loved acting in her youth and she was the funniest aunt. I used to just love visiting her, but actually she had a shop in County Limerick and their mother had a shop. Yeah. But I think they were, that's the way they were. They were very dramatic storytelling. Um, and I think that's quite an Irish thing. Yeah, that tradition of the, the, the oral. Yeah, because I was thinking about, I had, a, I was talking to Martin Doyle a bit about our panel session tonight and I was thinking about short stories and It reminded me there's a wonderful introduction to the Mary Lavin collected stories by B.S. Pritchard talking about the Irish character and short stories and he talks about Irish people being dramatic and he talks about two things going on about the Irish being able to quickly tell a story in a dramatic way um, but it's a veil for something else going on underneath Mm -hmm. and for me that's the best kind of poem or storytelling is it's uh, ostensibly about one thing, but there's something else going on there's underneath. An undercurrent going underneath. Yeah. And he said the Irish were th- double vision, he called it. Because yeah. that's a very dramatic thing, isn't it? That plays subtext exist on subtext. And even the person talking doesn't even know the yeah. subtext. Yeah. Because we don't know. And also I'm very interested in the idea about where voices come from. Um, I was talking last night about my mother grew up, my father was in the War of Independence and the Civil War, he never spoke about it. Yeah. My mother was 17 years younger than him, was growing up in the 20s and heard all the stories and she imbibed them all, she was fascinated with history yeah. so she was, all that material was being gathered in the 20s that I'm yeah. now using that I used in 2009, so long before they went to Burnt Poach or anything sure. so my mother was gathering stories not consciously gathering, just fascinated yeah. in voices and listening and she told them to me And there's one story in particular that I remember when she told it to me and I thought she was ventriloquizing someone else. Yeah. Because it was like a tale of revenge and my mother wouldn't have been like that. Um, It was like somebody had told a story that she heard from somebody and she had taken it in and she was acting out that voice. Because she was saying they all knew about him. Yeah. His head was inside the windows. She was repeating what someone else said. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember feeling that was really eerie. Yeah. And then when I wrote that dramatic monologue, I was trying to capture yeah. the voice that she must have yeah. taken in. Yeah. And I'm yeah. always struck by that. Lee Wash's, you know, the Ars Poetica poem, where he talks about the, the house of poetry is always open and guests come in and out at will. Yeah. My Google brain doesn't bother holding on, because I can Google it myself a second. You know the one? Yes. And the older I get, the more I realise voices are coming in and out, and we're not one person Yeah. like we like to think about. We're okay. quite collective. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I read Jung a lot when I was in my thirties, and I loved that whole idea of, of tapping into the yeah. collective. So yeah. you trained in medicine. You were a radiographer for yeah. a long...? Yeah, like paramedic. Um, like Sorry, just because some people think calling me a radiologist and that means like I'm a big-shot consultant, so I have to say no, I'm not. Um, I was, started in 81 and trained and I left in 96. So were the poems happening then as well, or? They happened, I always wanted to write, but I also grew up in a family that were incredibly good with talking, but none of them would have ever dreamed of being writers. And like my sister did medicine, even like, they f- I wanted to do English and they frowned on that and I was pushed off to do radiography. And bizarrely, I think the talent of the whole family is with words. But they're all like, and they all have really good jobs. And nieces and nephews now, computers and lawyers and medicine and all that kind of thing. Um, but so this talking thing... Uh, I forget what question you asked. I suddenly so
0: went, so you've got the, the the medical career beginning, but I'm wondering oh yeah, whether the so poems I went in because I
1: had to. So yeah, you know, the poetry thing is very interesting. So I wanted to write. I wrote as a child. I put it away. Then I had diaries. I burnt them all. I was talking to that Eleanor, because she also wanted to study English at UCC, but ended up training as a nurse and destroying everything. Yeah, and but the. The urge was stronger and stronger, but there wasn't that permission. It was like, who the hell do you think you are? So I did the OU, thinking I'd be a teacher, and I'd have holidays because the big thing is reading, 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 reading yeah. books. And they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I'm passionate about reading because I didn't do any workshops or courses or degrees in creative writing. So who were the writing. first
0: poets that you remember kind of making a
1: big impact on? Well, you? my sister from New York was in New York as a nurse, and well, as few. There was a node set of books up in the sitting room which was upstairs in Burnford and they had come from Australia and my brother Eric had been given them by a priest um, in the secondary school he would have gone to in Australia and he said a lot of very good things to say about priests and nuns which I think is about time yeah despite yeah, all died. their faults yeah. um, he said they really took care of the family because they weren't ready for immigration they'd gone from a big farm and security and they didn't know they were a bit lost there. And this priest, priest gave them, it was like about 12 volumes of Irish literature and they were green with gold harps. And I used to love them. I learned to read very, very young, myself. Yeah. I'm an autodidact from the beginning. Everything's done myself. And I used to find the pages where there was a lot of space, where there was a poem, and I'd get excited. And so Yeats was in there, yeah. and Up the Airy Mountain, which is a brilliant poem. So I was into the Irish poems, I was to find in there, and Pahri Cullum and... But well, my sister brought me books from America, and I think the other poets I love are American. Yeah, because you mentioned Frank O'Hara last night, so... Yeah, Frank wasn't in it, but this book had Emily Dickens, Wal- uh, The Little Wheelbarrow, Langston Hughes... Oh, Langston Hughes, yeah. Um, so Langston Hughes, William Carlos Williams, Emily Williams, um, Walt Whitman, gorgeous, big, richly... Yeah illustrated, children's book, um, bits of Shakespeare, um, The Plums in the Plum Box, you know, that William Carles yeah. So that book was a huge influence and Emily Dickinson was in there and yeah. I've always loved her. And I'm going a bit blank now because there are more in there, but I can't. But, but so, so... Early on, but I never thought I'd write poems, ever, but always loved them and I always thought maybe someday I could write stories. And then so what was the point that made you actually say, write? Yeah. So I did open university, but I soon realised I had, money was always short, and I was doing the OU, working as a radiographer, being on call, and it was really hard the studying, especially when I was doing the last year, because I'd studied, I'd done the CAT scan in the matter, and when I went to the hospital in London, there was only three of us could do CAT scan. And so that meant I was in call one and three that was carrying a bleep and getting up in the middle of the night and trying to do over you. And I thought, how's this gonna go? Um, my father died and that was the catalyst. I'd been reading loads of poems and listening to them. And I thought I was gonna write fiction, but it was poetry yeah. came out. And I went to a class, a kind of a group. It wasn't a proper class, it was the only one I ever went to. It, it wasn't a workshop. I'd never be able to write in a class or anything like yeah. that. Um, And she said, oh, she told me to go to the South Bank and look at the magazines. And I found one called Celtic Dawn, it was very glossy, and I didn't know it was run out of the Bee Gees castle. And the man was a kind of a magic person, and he ran the magazine with Robin Gibb's wife. And he and I wrote a poem called There's a Snake in My Bed. And he published it, and invited me down to the Bee Gees Castle, and I met Robin Gibb. My God. That was my kind first of, poem. It sounds
0: like a late
1: 20th century
0: version of like Yeats and the Theosophists. Like, you know, that, well, it's it was that magical thing. They weren't. <laughs> all that.
1: So, anyway, Celtic Dawn, um, and then after that, it was the more normal yeah. poetry magazines, yeah. not rock and roll or anything. So, you were reading the magazines and then submitting to the magazines? And, then and, 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 and the second person then, probably, who published me was Maura, Maura McEntee. And my mother was impressed with that. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, but she wasn't always impressed with that. Because, pro- no, I've written an article for the Irish Times because when I first rang her up and said I was publishing a book, she said, well, oh, a book? And I said, yeah, a book of poems. And she said, oh, poetry. I thought it was a book. Um, but Maura Mar- Mar- McEntee would, did impress her. So then that happened. And I thought I had a baby. and radiogra- I've always thought that radiography and poetry would be a fantastic job great human interest great things to see but my husband wasn't able to help with the child care at that time and i really hated having to put her into care sure. sorry that sounds care child care Childcare. um so that gave me the impetus and i didn't go into any classes i just wrote in the evenings and i got an agent and a publisher and i did two book deal with reed who were about to become Random House, yeah. Sinclair Stevenson, which was about to come Shatter, in 1994. And at that time, I had a part-time job at the Whittington, and I was working in Pentonville Prison as a radiographer. Bloomsbury published the third novel, but at that stage, I was beginning to really crave the poetry, yeah. and the agent and the publisher wanted more yeah. books. And then I went to the Irish Post, I covered in those years, I used to feel so ignorant because I came out of um, radiography, so I had no actual confidence. Because I had five books published before I started teaching, and I was like, "How oh, I can't explain what I do to anyone." But you know, I had to learn. So my teaching was my university. Yeah. I. Yeah. That was my MA was learning how to do it. Um. But. So were the were the, so the. interview. The, oh yeah, I had to yeah. cover an academic conference and. That, that would send me into a spin, because I was thinking, what the hell do I know about this? And I went down, and there was Christine Keneally. I just thought she was amazing, talking about the famine. And the other one was a, someone who became a great friend. And my book will be de- next book will be dedicated to her, Louise Ryan. And she was... She did a whole thing on Republican women. And that just absolutely inspired me, because... On my father's side, my mother had been in prison during the time of the land leagues. They were orphans. Um, they were all in their twenties, the family, and the sisters decided to do the plan of campaign. You know where they board up and pour the Indian meal in the hot water. So this was in Limerick. In Limerick, in, yeah. 18, in 1881, I think yeah. she was born in 1865. Yeah. Um, so. She'd gone to prison, there's loads of stories about her. I have never got around to writing her about her. And she'd run a safe house, and they'd been in the IRA. So I was very interested in the women. And I got really inspired. And Louise and I became great friends, and she told me where to go when I did the research. But I was beginning to get really bored and tired with the novels, and I did a pile of research, too much research. There was a lot going on in my life. and. Also, I couldn't get into because my whole thing is getting into the boys, the yeah. negative capability, and I just couldn't get into their heads. I couldn't imagine myself because we've seen the end product. Yeah. I couldn't imagine that idealism. Yeah. So what happened is I did all the research, loads and loads. I spoke. I went back. I remember my mother's story, and it all stalled, and I put it to one side. And then next thing, I started I was going through divorce, and I big. I became conscious of children caught up in crossfire. Unconsciously. Yeah. And I, my father had been hostage to the Black and Tans, my mother had been picked up by the Black and Tans. At the time, Israeli soldiers were using Palestinian yeah, boys children. as shields. Yeah. There was the story of the boy from Doris. And I suddenly thought, ah, oh, this is what happened. I was researching that. But yeah. this is what I should write about. Yeah. And Facing the Public was a great move forward. And I left fiction behind. I thought, oh, this is like flying. Oh, I'm so sick of fiction. Yeah. And um, then I had a novel called Petrol. And my agent, I promised to I'd sort it out. And I suddenly found myself turning it into prose poems and wanting that voice, wanting the intensity, wanting to t- cut down. And then, those Republican women, I never forgot them. And there was older women, you see, and I, by now, the years were passing, and I was the age of the older women. And one summer, because it came this thing, I have a bad back and I have a bad... I was in a car accident when I was 26, so I have always have neck problems and yeah. stuff. I think it's the other reason I don't like novels. You can, write a poem in any position. Novel is always like work you're, you're
0: over the and platform. you're tied, there's
1: a great freedom of, you're tied to the plot, it's, it's very ploddy. Um, so I think Petrel is a novel but it's like doing something different with yes. it, not being linear. Because when I, when I did it, I cut it all up and then had a whole load of little squares and I shuffled them like tarot cards. I like the idea of not being linear, linear as well. So I thought, oh, I could rewrite that story from the middle-aged women's point of view, worried about the young women, because mm. now I'm a ni- middle-aged mm. woman worried about my young daughter, and I could imagine being in the mind mm. of the older women worried about, God, this mad what they're doing. Because mm. they must have been so rebellious mm. and new to the older women.
0: Mm.
1: So they'd, oh, they'd probably write letters to each other. So I went down to the bottom of my garden of a hammock that summer from teaching and wrote a load of letters to each other. And I, that, again, that was the freedom from the novel. I hate this being tied, yeah. but you have to go li- right, you have to go left 10,000 words in yeah, right, yeah, and to yeah. you have to plot it. So record. I a big bundles of letters. that were written on cards, index cards, green and pink. And then I had a box and I decorated it with loads of shamrocks and it was red and green. And, because um, I had this thing about red and green always. I didn't want to call it the green and red because Iris Murdoch had that and then I wanted to call it the green book and the red book but Murakami has a green book and a red book so so I had a box of letters and then about a year later because I've always loaded the books on the go Mm. uh, because Petra was coming out at this time and I often sit on them a while because now I realise often time is the best editor and I don't I do all most of the correcting myself so I have to I know if I leave them long enough, I'll be able to yeah, see you'll them have the object to the day. So the letters, I took the letters out of the box again, and I thought, they seem old-fashioned, um, because in a way, you're always writing to the now. We're never really writing like they wrote back. We're always writing from now. So I thought, OK, I'll put them into prose poems, but the prose poems of petrol I'm bored with prose poems now. There's too many of them, and I'm sick of it, because it was thrilling at the time. I have to be feeling I'm doing something exciting, so. Um, So then I I got rid of the dear miss this and goodbye, Mrs. and yours sincerely and all the rest. And turned them into blocks, but I still wasn't happy. And when I got divorced, my mother's a big influence on me, like hugely. Like I think I'm haunted by her. Like I really feel I'm a haunted house. And when I got divorced, I thought she'd be really disapproving. And I always remember she was not mm-hmm. at the beginning, before the others got to her. A lot of people were whispering into her ear. So I mean, that's how people do Family, it. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, she was incredibly sympathetic, and that's something I kind of carry in myself, which was wonderful. Um, and she, everybody was in the kitchen. She was there with her friends and cronies, and she said, "No." Martina is divorced, and we're all widows here. Now we can talk openly about men. Yeah. And I never forgot that line. And as usual, when all of
0: these Republican women were
1: widows now, or many. Oh, or they weren't more. Republican at all. And yeah. They were just local women. Yeah. She was just saying, now we can talk openly yeah. about men. But the wind, like in any, <laughs> if you're being overdramatic, the wind can often be taken out of your sails. Because my sister-in-law was in the corner. So, actually, there was one non-widow who was married yeah. to my brother. Yeah. And then she said, oh, sorry, May is there. So, then she couldn't, that kind of took, but I never forgot the line. And I was thinking about a title, because I couldn't have the green and the red because of Iris Murdoch, and I couldn't have the green book and the red book because yeah. of Murakami. And then I thought, ah, n- now we can talk openly about men. And then I thought, that's ten syllables. My mother was very dramatic. Yeah. i am convinced she was always... having. Um, kind of moving in and out of iambic pentameter. Ah, I thought, right, that's it. So back I went and converted the whole book into ten-syllable lines. And it's called Now We Can Talk Openly About Men. It'd be published by Carcanet. And everything got squashed again. So it went from 250,000 of novel down to about 22,000. And it's now down to 10,000. Because once you change the form, once you take it out, because I, if I didn't like a poem maybe eight years ago, I would take it out of lines and put it into post-poetry, yeah. and that would reduce it. But now post-poetry, I have to get it back out of post-poetry as a way of editing. And when I put it back into the ten-syllable lines, it's really slimmed down. Yeah. And I feel now it's finally concentrated uh-huh. and done after 20 years. So what are you working on now, Martina? Um, I'm working on a series of poems um, that started with... I think that's interesting about writing. You, It's kind of self-mining and you start with a little seed. Um, and I'm always obsessed with my mother and remembering her. And um, I think I said earlier, I'm like a haunted house. There was a special day she used to often talk about in 1972 where we went to Clonakilty and had a day together. I think it's my equivalent actually of that Heaney poem, when all the others were away yeah, at Mass, mass yeah. the two of us went to Clonic Hilty and bought shoes together. While well, my sister was doing her entrance exam for secondary school, and she used to talk about it. And I wrote a sonnet, because um, again, that, I think one of the catalysts can be form. So when I first discovered prose poetry, that was exciting. Now it's become boring, and writing a sonnet was exciting. And then I found I kept writing more pro- sonnets about shoes. And then more poems, free verse poems about shoes, feet, X-ray, and there must be about twenty-five now. And all of a sudden, um, after twenty years, I've left X-ray. Twenty-one years since I left the X-ray department. My fifteen years in the NHS and the Southern Health Board and Eastern Health Board are just flooding back into my poems. So, and you read one last
0: night at the the Nina Art Centre for the opening event of the Ear Festival. So you're you're
1: going to read that for us or recited for a now. Um, so it's Night Tone, it's a working title because it starts in the Monterey Hospital around 1984, which was in Eccles Street, where Leopold Bloom, my favorite literary character, lived. But, I'm, um, but I suppose Night Town I'm worried about the kind of brothel associations that people might think this is about sex with because it's got expending feet and people might read terrible things into it. Because it's, what can I do? So I might have to change that. night tone I'm thinking of dreams and I think dreams are very important to my writing at the moment Um, dreamlike and maybe that's what's attracting me back to radiography because if you you do 24 hours we used to do 24-hour stints I think they do shifts now and you do enter a kind of dream world when you're up that long so night tone up all night in the Martyr hospital, pushing an x-ray machine through fluorescent light. I'd waited eight hours for the last coronary bypass, and when it came back, I'd given up and gone to bed. So I had to come down again in the old cage lift from the doctor's res, to the heart arrested in ITU, the body bucking. The surgeon from Dubai shoving me to one side as I centred the x-ray tube and my cross of light on the sunken sternum his neat brown fingers cutting into the pitcher, he chopped the stitches open with the side of his hand took out the heart and massaged it in front of me while i heaved in my open toe forbidden sandals i'd stopped wearing shoes after my first 24 hours in cork regional they rang from casualty rta get up out of that quick The porter who'd memorized the whole of the Yangtze River menu shouted there was two stretchers coming up from a road traffic accident. I sat on the side of the narrow bed, felt for my shoes. Only my feet were tender watermelons now that refused to go in. Forcing them, I couldn't take one step, like an ugly sister or a stepmother in hot iron shoes. I hoped bare feet wouldn't be noticed in an emergency. Oh, as a gypsy you are now, so... The A&E sister snapped out of her blue lead apron as I padded around the immobilised blood and alcohol-smelling bodies, with my sandbags and cassettes marking right and left with my metal markers, concentrating on not mixing them up like I had the last time. That bossy sister noticed everything I did. I woke next day in the stuffy on-call room at half-four. My day off already disappeared into November darkness as I hurried to the shoe shop at Wilton Shopping Centre. The assistant told me that shoes... The assistant told me that feet never stopped growing. Half a size for every year, I'm telling you, girl. Sleepy and bewildered, I purchased a big size seven. And it was only when I revived over beans and toast at eight o'clock that it hit me. By that reasoning, my feet would be size 30, at the age of 40, with many yards to go ahead of me. The coffin that would hold me hasn't been built yet, I shouted into the empty beige kitchen. Next day, back in the shop for an exchange, no sign of the first assistant, the older beehived woman said she'd never heard of her.
0: So, thank you very much, uh, Martina, for, for talking to us and enjoy the rest of the
1: festival. I will.
0: So, we're joined by Eleanor Hooker, who is the reason we're here. She uh, has kindly invited us down to capture the magic of the Dromineer Festival and
2: it's 14 years now yeah Anna. how 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 can that be it, it, it flew past we had our first meeting in the whisky still the village pub um i made the first minutes on a beer mat and because i had no paper i just kept going around in circles and i still have it and people say you're a hoarder and i think no i'm an archivist but um why it, did you want to bring a festival here the arts Officer Nina were looking for a literary festival in North Tipperary as we were then and they just sent out feelers yeah. and um, Tom O'Donohue, I met him in the village and you know yeah. we we're all crouched down in the winter because the sky is so low and it's just so miserable and we thought we'd lift lift the place a bit with a literary festival. Tom has since died and he was one of our founding yeah. members. Um, And he's just said, Would you like to be involved? And I said, Yes, please. So I wrote to everybody. Seamus Heaney wrote two lovely letters. Um, Uh Maeve Binchy said, I'm a bit ill. I'm not dying or anything, but I'd love to come down, but maybe another time. And she talked all about her fun memories on the lake. So you'd issue an invitation, and you'd get these gorgeous letters back, there was a willingness from the yeah, beginning
0: yeah.
2: Um, and our core philosophy we said from the start is that we would have established writers beside new writers yeah. and and everybody embraced that yeah. because um, at the time you saw, you didn't get to see the new voices yeah. and, and like you saw at the launching party yesterday. Um, so yeah uh, Martina just introduced these wonderful writers Absolutely. and yeah. and and gave a beautiful kind of and essentially a review of their new books. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no that, that that was extraordinary and it is sort of great to get the sense of the continuity of established but the people who will be yeah. sort of the establishment yeah. you know in in a number of decades or next year or when, whenever it might be. Yeah. Know? But it must be really hard work just sort of trying to it, do this. Yeah,
2: it's full it's a full-time job yeah. and it has to be in order in it, order to make it look at As smooth as it is, there's an awful lot of work that goes under the surface. Um, Year, like at the beginning of the year, all the way through, and a lot of people write if they've anxiety. So you have to address every single email. You know, you can't say I'll wait a couple of days. You, you you know, everything is. Well, for me, it's immediate, so that people don't think they're forgotten. Yeah. Um, and we love people to within an inch of their lives. And I think people like that. There Absolutely. has to be a warmth. Yeah. I talk to people, and they say they go to festivals, they go to their hotel room, they, you know, they do their their reading, and then they're off the monitor, and they, you know, they fall beneath the radar. We sort of say to people can live with us if you like move in it's fine you know there's and here's a doorknob yes <laughs> here's a doorknob although the, the the male artists were saying is is there something you're telling me well, no no it's just an ornamental drawer knob and they said even that's dodgy so,
0: <laughs> so so talk to me a little about because when we come here and we discover the lake we're all kind of wowed by the amazing quality. You've been living here for how long?
2: Uh, We came back to Ireland in 2002, but um, uh, it's Peter's great-grandparents' house, so when the children were small, I'd come over for the summer on my own. We were getting slowly restored and the boys were sailing, so I'd come and spend the summer here with them. And then um, Peter... Has that always then fed into your writing? Yes. I've been writing all my life. Um, I had a fit of temper when I was 21 and I shaved my head totally bald. There was a lot of things around it and I burned everything I ever wrote. And then I had um, sort of every decade, I just burned stuff. Yeah. And I just hadn't, didn't have the confidence. Yeah. And I showed my poetry to um, Pat Kelly, who's a, our treasurer. Yes. And um, suddenly he can't be here this weekend because he's had a, um, a death in his family. But he, I showed him my poetry and he said, you need to, you know, not doubt about it, and I went to Michael Cody's, the first workshop I ever went to was with Michael Cody, and I mean, he's a teddy bear, he was so kind, and he said to me, and I didn't realise, he said, you're extraordinary, I've never published the poem I brought to that workshop, but he said, you're extraordinarily brave to bring this poem, and um, there were one or two characters, you know, in every workshop there are characters who are very, very um, strong. And uh, some of them, if you show any sort of vulnerability, some people will protect you, yeah. and other and people, others will go in for the juggler. Absolutely, yeah. that, that's the thing. And he he contained that yeah. workshop because he saw what was going. He said, "I'm the ch- I'm hosting this. Yeah. N- none of you can do this." Yeah. And I and I thought, gosh you know, and I, because I was so divorced from the emotions that wrote the poem, I thought it's okay, you can discuss it any way you like, yeah. but he, he thought, no, no, I, I'm, I'm your advocate now because I'm yeah. hosting the. and I thought this is, this is something I can do, yeah. you know, the world doesn't fall apart yeah. if I write these kind of poems. And the
0: workshop is an important part of this festival because oh, yeah. on the Saturday morning there's a poetry workshop, a fiction workshop, yeah. and I've attended them and, and given them and know that it is very much that ethos of people are protected. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, when you and
2: when, when the um, workshop ho- host provider, like the, the poet or the... they ask me, what's what are the guidelines? Um, and I, I, I generally say, you need to mind everybody. Yeah. Um, because there are people who are local who have, who are just dipping their toe in the water, and they they're starting up, and there are amongst people who have maybe published two or three books, yeah. but they have to have the same courtesy and the re- the rest of the workshop, and that's that's from the top of the table. Yeah. If 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 the person at the top of the table is showing that this person is just as um, has just as much right to be here as everybody yeah. else yeah. Um, and so this, it's all about protecting and encouraging new writing at the same five hundred 518 entries from the schools. Wow, um, which Geraldine Mitchell was involved yeah, in. in judging. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and she on Friday night at, at, at the uh, opening event was talking about living somewhere in her case West Mayo looking out the window every day at this view over to Clare Island and I'm thinking Elner's looking out every morning yeah. at a view over Loch Derg. Like, do you find something different every day? How, how do you sort of respond to that inspiration?
2: Um, if you sit in, we have a little pier, a little old stone pier. If I sit in the pier, the seasons change literally every yeah. half hour. Yeah. Um, on a windy day, I will go and sit there. I'll wrap up and sit there because the sea eagles come up from Bushy Island. Oh, yes. And you see this yellow hooked yellow clawed creature just skimming the water fishing. Um, we don't tell anybody about it because there's uh, there's anxiety that they're going to get shot or, or poisoned yeah. or whatever yeah. So I sit there and I have my own nature show We have red squirrels the first time in years there are red squirrels on the eastern shore of oh, Loch Derg, And they, the grey squirrels haven't um, yeah. got it and it's a retrovirus that'll kill them yeah. So I, I watch red and I hum the music to James Bond because they kind of you know that <laughs> and so, You know that music did yeah. ja- so I hum that while I'm watching them it's it's wonderful we have um, um, pine martens, we have mink which is unfortunate but um, yeah. they're, they're here now. Actually I think the theory about grey squir- squirrel
0: receding is that the pine martens are getting them. Oh right. And they don't go for the red squirrel, they go for the, so the, 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 the grey, grey. I've, I've seen somewhere, so that oh, that's could be, interesting. Could yeah, be yeah. And I know water really features in your last collection, A took of, of Blue, which was launched last
2: year Yes. at, yeah, the, 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 at, at the, the festival. festival. Is there maybe a poem from there that you could read for us? Um, well I Or anything I, you like? Yeah, well, at the, because I'm on the lifeboat, um, the, there are two characters in the village, Teddy Knight, who's taking us out on the boat today, okay. and Charles Stanley Smith, who lives in the village, yeah. who, um, because of their efforts, a, a few years ago, um, three, sa- three sailors went across the lake. Two of them decided to come back by water, and the girls said, no, guys, it's too rough. Um, and they lost their lives. Oh they Lord. didn't make it back. Yeah. And then Charles and Teddy said we need a, re- a declared resource here, and they approached the oil line. The oil I said absolutely, no yeah. problem. Yeah. And um, a friend of mine, George Harries, who um, used to go up and down in barges and knew every—he was in the in the in the navy. Everything you needed to know about water, I'd ask George. So this poem is sort of dedicated to them because it's their stories. Lovely. If love to hear good, that. Okay. would love to hear that. Um, it's a it's a bit dark, as people say at the end. Goodness, the ending, but. It refers to something that actually happened to your life. In the, yeah. Life.
0: Yeah.
2: The sheltered world. We navigate the narrow neck of darkness to find them in the gut of the night. Fouled, stricken, wrecked. We return them to the sheltered world, and in returning to the sheltered world we sept the still, our land legs hollow, but restless to put to sea restored. Cradling a carafe of light. An ancient seafarer crosses the bar to take up station beside us. He declares he's glad we're here, glad we fetched them back alive, says, "'Twas different in the owl times." In the owl times, he says, "'Twas different." On nights such as this, they dragged a grapnel along the grey water's bed, and often as not, snagged the afterworld. Along the grey water's bed, their grapnel rent, unanswered prayers, unused flares, a mother's dream as they hooked her child and brought him punctured to the surface.
0: Very powerful. And and there's so much powerful imagery
2: in, in, in that book. Because before the lifeboat, it was mostly recovery and um, they used grapnels and anchors to get people the up. B- up. And, yeah. and the thing is, you want people back. Yeah. You don't want to wait that 10 yeah. days. Yeah. And the, the, the leak, if they take—if it takes someone, she'll take them right down, and then 10 days later, she'll surrender them. Yeah. But that 10 days is torturous yeah. for the family. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, one can think
0: of several instances this year of people still waiting yes. for loved ones, and it just, it's unfathomable, really, yeah. I think, you know? So so what next? That came
2: out last year. What what's happening for um, you creatively I'm work- now? I'm working on my third collection and I've um, I'm writing furiously. I don't know if they're any good or not. So it was lovely to bring work. You know, um, it was lovely to bring work to the workshop and think, oh yeah, affirmation again. Because you do doubt. If oh, you, yes. you know And sometimes you run up against the wall and you try to climb it and you're like those creatures in the in the computer games who are climbing. <laughs> um, I'm, I've been writing a novel for about nine years and it's about a character called Lizzie and she's in short story, she's in flash, actually she was in Dreamless, you judged you Dreamless at the Irish Writers' Centre. She gets episodes and she's a character I love, but she won't leave me alone. So I talked to another writer and they said, then you need to tell yeah. her story. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, she's a fictional character, so I'm going to finish that. It's a very different discipline because I've been trying to finish a novel myself. Yeah, oh gosh. It is
0: so different poetry. It's just, yeah. it's like the long marathon, isn't it? The, yeah, long, yeah. the long
2: haul. And I went to Anna McCarrig for a week just before the festival. I wrote five poems in a short story. I was like a mad thing. And I know I came down one day, and I'm not sure if I came down with my nitrous or my hair. I was like, oh dear, I need to go back to the room. <laughs> and I was staying in Miss Morby's room, and maybe they thought, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Miss Morby's yeah. uh, affecting her. But I, it was so, it was like a release. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to getting back to Lizzie and, and seeing if I can finish it, it yeah. even if it's only for me. Yeah. 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 No. But I, 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 I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> and also Ian Sampson, Samson is um, starting a creative writing PhD in Trinity. Oh, is he? Oh, great. And he's taking new entrance um, of autumn 2018. Fantastic. So um, he said, keep watching the website. Yeah, that's great news. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes if somebody is a cat or nine tails and they flay you, You might write another chapter. There's nothing like a deadline.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's
2: another busy day and people
0: are arriving to go out in another boat. Yeah. So you've been great to come and talk to us. And thank you so much for yourself and Peter coming
2: down. It's a joy to
0: see you. We absolutely love it.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: morning mid-spring and to market a new dead thing a robin somehow they always find me crouching in the cavernous ditches and hurling themselves under the wheels of my fiesta toppling from the sky to land at my feet and because my small world is coming apart in tiny increments it seems fitting that the creatures should be dying too they are being killed with me, they are being killed for me. I decide I will take a photograph of this robin, the first in a series perhaps, a series about how everything is being slowly killed. So we're joined by Martin Malone, who uh, is a poet born in County Durham in the north of England and who currently lives in Aberdeen. I think that's right, isn't
3: it? Just moved to the north, the Moray Coast, a little fishing town.
0: Gorgeous. Um, and he has published two collections, the most recent being Kerr which was published by Shoestring Press in 2015. And a chapbook called Prodigals was published by the Black Light Engine Room, which is a fantastic name yes. for a publishing a corrective. Um, so I know at the moment you're, you're, you're working on a PhD, which focuses on great war poetry. And at last night's reading, you were talking about um, some of the poems that you've been writing as, as, as um, a response to that. Mm. So how are you finding this whole academic uh, over layering of what you'd be writing anyway or how, how is it
3: working? It's been uh, extremely interesting really, the, the the dynamic between the academic side which I wanted to be quite hefty with. I, I didn't want to just do creative writing and a critical reflection on what I was doing because you always emerge from that as a genius, surprise, surprise. So I wanted to do something actually uh, stood alone from that. And the, and the, the transfer of the resources, the research has been I've never worked like that yeah. before. Yeah. So that's been interesting. i finished it, actually. I'm, I'm now Doc. Oh,
0: But uh, don't call me
3: Doc, unless you're going to give me a good an upgrade on a flight. Well, I, I know.
0: <laughs> I always reckon it's kind of like the glass hammer, the, the, yeah. the creator writing yeah. uh, doctorate. But, but that's just me and my bitterness. I think. Yeah, you no, know, yeah. I'm
3: I fascinated. I actually kind of am yeah. a refuser. I, I keep saying it's a PhD in poetry, because actually, if I waited it, it was at least sixty forty in favor of the yeah. research and academic side, yeah. although a book came out the finished book is the poetry manuscript I'm still working on the academic I think it'll be another three or four years before I finish.
0: And you you mentioned last night during the reading that that to a certain extent you were kicking back against a lot of received notions about poetry the Great War
3: Yeah we've had a hundred we've had a hundred years of it and and I I just it it felt to do with permission really as a non-combatant writing a hundred years later it felt like I didn't want to join the, the Sad Shires brigade and just write poems in amethyst about it a bit of the poppy show Mm. that i I kind of i Mm. do kick back against Mm. Uh, and i had an imagined reader which i suppose was a a 16 year old now i mean in the uk as i said last night it's virtually an act of uk citizenship to have some knowledge of wilfred owen and i'm thinking that's a law of diminishing returns as it recedes in time Mm. so i think i decided to try and Try in my own way, a humble way, to reinvent the idiom of Great War poetry mm. For, mm. for my own purposes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there's a lot of poetry written in a mode, mm. and I, I just wanted to disrupt that mode a little mm. bit. And I kind of do it within the collection. There's, there's two sequences a 50-poem a uh, prose poem sequence, which just physically refuses to behave like mm. a trench lyric, mm. you know, mm. an elegiac mm. lyric. Mm. And then there is a, a 30-odd poem sequence of. The thing I'm dissenting from, yeah, because I think it's important to prove you can do both things.
0: And and it just feels spookily coincidental that at the time that you might be engaged in this project, Europe looks like it's trying to recreate itself into the shape of the split, you know, uh, broken up borders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that that we saw hundred years ago. I mean, is that finding its way in?
3: I would have had it otherwise but it's it's virtually gifted me a, a book the the mess we're in now yeah. a refusal to learn the lessons of history yeah, yeah. constantly yeah and the 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 resonances i mean you heard last night i read a poem called brokenshire which was just it's the irish border situation sure. now that was talked about then yeah um uh, so there's been a lot of once i once i struck upon the means that i thought was going to take me forward there were just give I only had to read by the papers, keep my ears open, and mm-hmm. go. Yeah, there's, so there's there's poems in there uh, about you know the Irish border situation, about Article Fifty, about about uh, gun running, and about how we're all gangsters now. You know the erosion mm. of of collective morality. <laughs> really, it, it, it was it, it was like once I have discovered it, it was like Shh, I hope no one else finds hits upon this. It's mine. It's mine for now. Yeah, so um, yeah. so uh, now that I've finished the manuscript, I feel I can ease back on that. It's yeah. starting to go out to a few people. So. Well,
0: can, can I maybe take you back a little? Because I'm always curious about how people find their way into poetry, because mm. it is such a mad thing to be wanting to do. It is. So I'm wondering about how you, growing up in County Durham, like what made you think, oh, that's something I'd like to try.
3: Um, I think I think I'm a bit of a monkey see monkey do type person. I've always it's been the same with music and, and everything. If there's something I really like, sports, I'll I want to do it. And. Uh, I think originally, um, I probably came to it in transit in the form of songs between Hartlepool and Liverpool going to see my dad's family, a big Liverpool Irish family. Um, as, a, as a kid in the old year 40, my mum and dad had no radios and, and, and no, <laughs> no seat belts. Now with a four-year-old, you kind of wonder. Uh, and they would sing songs from musicals and yeah. Irish songs. Yeah. So I, I think I got a true song, yeah. and then later, uh, there was a there was a, a wonderful uh, anthology of dead white guys, but there were good dead white guys. Actually, four of them probably weren't dead at the time I was doing it. But called Nine Modern Poets. Oh, okay. That was on the GCS GCE yeah. syllabus in those days. Yeah. So um, so I, I kind of. Anybody from your neck of the woods? Opened in wonder. No. no yeah. Um because I'm no. thinking
0: of Tony Harrison's kind of reaction to, you know, wanting to hear somebody with his vowel sounds.
3: Yeah, I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a class thing and that's still quite a big thing with me. I, I, I think we've actually gone back in the last 20 really? odd years. Yeah, I think, I think things such as there's been an erosion of working class yeah. intellectual possibilities and opportunities. That probably wouldn't even be possible now. So to me, the, uh, being a poetry editor, for example, and doing a poetry PhD coming from where I come from is a political act, a profoundly yeah. political act. Yeah. So I get the Harrison thing. Yeah. Um, it's only more latterly I've discovered that there were some great Northeast poets around, but, but you tended to go through the mainstream yeah. and come at it like that. Um, even now, though, I, I kind of always have felt that if you want to beat the enemy in that score, you've got to sing his song better. So I, I probably am quite consciously a, an academic in pagey type, po- my inclinations are that way, yeah. even though I come to it via song. Because yeah. I think I was possibly put off yeah. by the lack of me yeah. around and yeah. people like me yeah. around. Yeah. So I, I kind of, like a lot of people, did a literature degree and was, went, oh, okay, that's, yeah. not, that's me, not my position. my experience, exactly. So yeah. I, don't, I, I, yeah. I just wrote songs and was in a rock and roll band for 20, yeah. like rock and roll bands for many years. Yeah. It seemed a bit more democratic. Yeah. And it's something that exercises me a lot now this notion of a democratized culture a more democratized culture
0: so i mean what because you know one of the things that i was i was wondering about was this you know and you alluded to it earlier that kind of the 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 confusion the political confusion the 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 sense of of confused identity that we all have Mm. like you know what can poetry and poets do there can is you know can can make anything happen?
3: <laughs> hmm. that, uh, oh goodness, that is. Uh, I think you can make it happen for you, and and it's like it's like the old thing you can't be what you can't see. So it's like the old thing with 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 uh, African American rights in America. Yeah. You've, you've got to have models that model you being what you are from where you are. Uh, And I think in that sense, with a a small do things, making things happen, they can. Um, The last time I, I, I think I felt writers were making things happen was probably in the old Czechoslovakia, really, with Havel and people. I think they did make things happen. But I I
0: remember I did a workshop once with Adam Zaglievsky, and he was talking about, you know, what happens when all of the political questions are sorted for, you know, the writers in the Eastern Bloc, when there isn't Mm. anything to, Mm. you know, rebel against or be oppressed by or whatever, like, you know there's a void suddenly and they're not quite sure what you're right about
3: i think there's a pause and possibly a culture shock and, and then new questions are asked because new situations yeah. arise yeah i mean we you know if this is not like the old um <coughs> conditions of the soviet bloc but 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 we're, we're living in challenging times interesting times if we go by the chinese proverb and, and I think what you do is you start asking different questions yeah. and, and, and modeling different, different answers. I mean, it was interesting. I, I worked in Czechoslovakia not long after the, the Velvet Revolution. And I said to them then, you know that you're going to get a whole different set of problems. The, the, the Russians drove across your garden in tanks, but you're about to have your minds driven over yeah. by consumerism in a different way.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, yeah. you, you, it, that probably, they rightly said, that's easy for you to say. Yeah, it it well. was. Yeah, but but there are but, but there are, there are different types of problem. Yeah, to be asking the question, Poetry is never going to be short of the question to ask.
0: Um, and you mentioned also that you're 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 an editor of a magazine, The Interpreter's House. Um, it's I think it's just published its sixty-sixth issue. Is that right?
3: I've just put the bed sixty-six. It might be there when I get back the printer proof. Yeah.
0: Um, so how does the work of being an editor feed into your own practice? Do you think?
3: Yes, uh, good one. To be honest, as conscientiously as possible, um, I've tried to keep the two career things separate. Because I never, I I don't know about yourself, but I, I, I would never want to feel that my writing has got a leg up as a result of my editing yeah. so I've tried as much as possible yeah. to keep them separate yeah. but there's, 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 there's a lot of beneficial effects to reading a lot of poetry you get your eye in very quickly you become aware of what is out there yeah. um, and it's just it's like anything if you if you if you practice and reading as, as, we, as we say at any workshop yeah. you know a good writer is a good reader so if you're reading a lot it's bound to have a beneficial effect upon your writing.
0: And are there trends, you know, what are the trends that you're observing at the moment in terms of what people are writing about or the style? Or
3: I think I think what's happened is that um, there is a lot of good and sound poetry around now, because poetry now has a lot of a lot of um, courses and it's gone to the academy so you can get, like me, PhDs in it and MAs in it Uh, and there are a lot of great workshops. Um,
0: But is that at the expense of the kind of the mad untrained genius?
3: I think it is a little bit. I yeah. think I think I don't think it's unreasonable to say that. Um, I, I think what I've gone. That said, you do get a lot of good poetry. So the, the, the base levels yeah. upped uh, wonderfully. I mean, things like the 52 project. Kind of, we got a lot of poems yeah. that I didn't do it, but yeah. I, I, my deputy editor had started it, and we yeah. could spot them. Yeah. But that's not to say that we didn't get some very good poems yeah. from yeah. it. But you could almost spot spot the ones that had been produced that way too. Yeah. That's not a criticism, that's just an observation. But yeah. uh, I, uh, there's something about the essential, there's a quality of essentialness to some poems that you just fall in love with. You mm. think this poem had to be written. Mm. In, mm. Um, and actually sometimes, I, as I said a little bit last night at my reading, sometimes writing about a little less about what you know can create a new poetry that isn't about those real core moments and needs for you to write, Mm. and that's good, too. Mm. Mm. You you get a very different poetry that you wouldn't otherwise write, and that that sometimes comes through. There is is a school that I kind of resist, which is the me thinking cleverly out loud school. And I think there's an awful lot of good poetry that's getting into the the bigger presses that way. But it seems to be any kind of consensus and uniformity I'm on my guard against. And while I'm always impressed by it, it rarely moves me in yeah. the same way yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah no i totally yeah. get that um well we wondered whether you'd read something for
3: us yes um yeah i'll read this for the first time because it was one of the last poems i i wrote on the uh on the uh phd oh, returning um and it's it's actually from the more non dissenting side okay. of it it's uh it's based, uh, I wanted to do something to do with the RFC, the Royal Flying Corps, and, and that was kind of, because all, it's all very much Western Front from the ground, yeah. our socio-historical perceptions. So I'll read, I'll read Wanton Boys, which is based heavily on a, a wonderful memoir by Cecil Lewis called Sagittarius Rising. So this is Wanton Boys. Seventeen is not a grateful age, but they'll take you young. Overlook your lies for a roaring engine. So you swap those carefree years for the freer skies, new testament of NASA, Pito, Ayaro, Magneto. A dream conjecturable as heaven, flight still, fresh miracle paints its brilliance across your days. And earth grows suddenly remote, while cirrus turns copper, fades pink, then drifts away gray into night. Tipval, down past Boiselle, round the Freecore salient and on to Montauban. The earth taking moonlight like moleskin. Then home to dinner in the empty chair of a boy you'd laughed with over lunch. Lost at 2,000 feet where he worked the arc of our own guns. Summer weather brings days of blue and crystal. Heat bumps throwing us up above the haze to circle like flies in an august room, the air our element over the gun's continual scintillation. From here the land is shown of its contours, and the PBI but dun figures labouring under kit, while we move like spirits in an airy loom. Always in your blind spot, it is chance we fear most aberration tailspin fire or the unforeseen you die alone in the clouds and death like the sun is a thing you cannot gaze on too long
0: super 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 a bit of king lear
2: bit
3: of yeats yes yeah yeah that was definitely from the from the the mode the tradition side of great war yeah. right and there was a the lyric elegy. Er- yeah. i mean the, it it I,
0: well, going back to what you were talking about earlier, just in terms of just the the, the kicking back over this sort of the received opinions about how uh, that war was fought and experienced um, in Ireland, I think there's a whole other layer of, yeah. you know, a, a whole group of people, two hundred thousand of them, yeah. fought in the Great War, but couldn't talk about that experience because when they came back, Absolutely. the whole political yeah. landscape had changed. Yeah. So, so. We're only now recovering those stories in it's Ireland. That's true. It's true. Um, but but you know that one received sort of uh, image um, just has been sort of rammed down our throat, I suppose, everywhere.
3: I, I think now we've allowed in a, a few more competing narratives and, and actually one of my uh, academic chapters was on Heaney and the Irish soldier ports. And that took three times (laughs) longer than the other three simply because Ireland was involved and everything had to be verified walked around and there are competing mythologies obviously with the north and the Somme for the unionist uh, tradition and 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 what it was as you just described so well uh, about the about the south
0: and Um, it's only going to get more complicated when we start to try and talk about the civil war here indeed, indeed and the competing narratives of that one but that's a Absolutely. whole other thing Absolutely. so so those poems from from that project are coming out next year
3: hopefully hopefully uh, 2018 uh, we, I've got a possible 2019 if it's with the p- publisher I wanted to go out with that would be possibly kicking into 2019 yeah and um, it could come out sooner but I'm. I'm I, this is probably it's my third collection and I was saying to Geraldine Mitchell this is this is one I really quite believe in and I think the people I'm writing about deserve their yeah. audience yeah. in this new way, if we're going to still remember them in this way. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping that uh, it will find find a, a means to hit that audience yeah. in a way that small presses for, for all they are wonderful sometimes can. don't have the reach.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, if you come out of the whole academic process of the PhD still with a faith in the creative work, that was the basis of it. That is a huge achievement, I have to say. Thank so thank you very much for talking thank to you. us. It's,
3: it's great being here. Thank you.
0: So thank you to all our guests on this latest special Dromanier Literary Festival episode of The Attic Sessions. In particular, thanks to Martina Evans and Martin Malone and of course, the wonderful Eleanor Hooker, without whom none of this could have happened. And please do join us next month for another episode of The Attic Sessions. Yes, I know that I'm just a dreamer, I dream because it's the closest I'll ever get to you.